guess what? We have some scriptures for you today. If you've never thought that, just, just come along with us anyways. Um, and if you have your Bible, you'll turn with us to 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. We're going to look at a time in the history of the world when humanity tried to build a literal location for God. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27, it says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have builded. It's very poetic. It's a great verse. Um, but this verse is written in Kings, and it's written by King Solomon after he's just completed the long, arduous process of building a temple for God. So what happens is the children of Israel, they always had a tabernacle where they would you know, have church or where God would meet with them. And uh, King David had a son named Solomon, and uh, King David decided that he was going to build a physical place that God could come meet with his people. Um, he gathered a lot of things, a lot of materials, but it wasn't God's will for David to build the temple. It was his will for Solomon to build the temple, his son. So the temple was built, and it was going to be elaborate. It was going to house the Ark of the Covenant, and it was going to be a place for God to come down and meet with his people. Not really unlike what we're doing today. For God to come down in a focused time and meet with his people. And so uh, they get started on building this temple. And, and, and Solomon decides that this temple is going to be elaborate. Because we know that God is a God that fills everything. God is everywhere. God fills heaven and earth. We say, the, the psalmist said, if I ascend up into heaven, guess what? God's there. If I make my bed in hell, God is there. He's everywhere. So how are we going to build a set location for God to come and dwell with us? Well, we're going to do our very best is what Solomon's thinking. We are going to pull out everything that we have. So for seven years, he amasses building materials, builders, anything that he can to build the house of God. Seven years. Man, I don't even know if I would have the patience to sit through a project like that. I'm just like, why is it not done? I've, I don't know if any of you all have driven on Liberty Parkway. It's taken them like five minutes, and they've got this massive structure being built over by the Ford plant. I don't even know what it is, but they've done it in like a month, it seems like. It's just there. Seven years, they didn't have the technology we have today. Look at this. He decides that Solomon's building this temple. He's building this place for God, and he decides that he needs uh, cedar trees. So has anybody ever seen a cedar tree? Cedar trees in this time grew up in Lebanon, which is quite a, quite a ways away from Israel. So he talks to the king of Lebanon. He's like, I'll give you food if you will send me cedar trees. Seems like a good trade. And uh, so, they, so they're like, all right, let's get these cedar trees down to build the temple. So if you read in Kings, Solomon employs 10,000 men. And all they do is for one month straight, they get cedar trees. They float them down on barges down the Mediterranean Sea. They walk them up to the temple to build the temple. Then they get two months off. Which that'd be all right. And then they do it again. Just in 10,000 men just constantly bringing in cedar trees for this tree, for this uh, temple. So I did, some, I did some research, some reconnaissance. Does anybody know how many people the Ford plant employs? Some of you might know. He knows. According to their website, 7,500 people. 7,500 people working in the Ford plant. I live next to like 7,400 of them in my neighborhood. And they bust out trucks like on a daily basis and the sprinter vans these things are all over kansas city they're very efficient and they're all over the place right seven thousand five hundred solomon <laughs> yeah support ford 
Um, Solomon had 10,000 people just for the trees. That doesn't even count the gold. That doesn't count the bronze, the silver. That doesn't count anything else. He had 10,000 men just for the trees. And so this is a nationwide building project. Everybody gave to it. Everybody was part of it. And it was a huge sacrifice. You could slowly see the temple start to be erected in Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us that once the temple is finally completed, it takes seven years. And they're getting ready to do, to do the grand opening of the temple. And so what do they do? They gather up sheep and oxen to sacrifice to kick off the temple. Now, I'm thankful that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice and we don't do animal sacrifices anymore. Um, because the Bible says that it was too numerous to count. I don't, I mean, I don't know. I'm a visual guy. So I'm just imagining just blood running everywhere as they sacrifice all of these sheep, all of these oxen, which is in their way of trying to purify themselves before the presence of God could fall down into that temple. Years of planning. Sheep and oxen, they're losing their lives left and right. I don't know if there's any sheep and oxen left in the area. There's probably no cedar trees left in Lebanon. They've just done everything they can to get this temple built. And so that this temple could be the permanent place where the God of all creation, who dwells in heaven and in earth, could come localize his attention and meet with his people. No expense was spared. No sacrifice was held back. Years of planning. And after all of this, Solomon, who is recorded as the wisest man to ever live, said these words. It's all done. It's all built. Everybody's there. They're anticipating God's presence. And he says, look, look at what we've built. This house can't even contain it. It's not even worth it. It's, it's, it's not worthy of God's presence. With all of the effort and all of the sacrifice, his presence is so great, we can't expect him to be contained in this building. And you know what? That, that story... We can just pass through it and be like, well, of course God's too big for that. But you know what? We can spend our entire life and miss that revelation that God is everywhere. And his presence is so amazing that it's not about what we can build for him. It's not about what we can try to do with a service to limit him to a time frame that you need to come in this time. Frame. No, God can do anything in this world at any time. And so we get that example and, uh, and we see that God it does eventually come down into that temple. But there are times that God focuses his presence on one area and will manifest himself to humanity. So the, the people of Israel were woefully aware that the God that fills all space was way too powerful for just the temple. But they also recognize, the children of Israel also recognize that there are times, and they're very special times, when God decides he's going to manifest himself and he's going to demonstrate his presence in a specific location. And so if you look in the Old Testament at Numbers chapter 9, verse 15, we can see that there are times that the God who fills all space does actually localize himself and he gives a manifestation or he shows himself in a way. Numbers chapter 9, verse 15 tells us, and it says, and on the day that the tabernacle was reared up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, namely the tent of the testimony, and at even there was upon the tabernacle as it were, the appearance of fire until morning. You know what? We're going to read two more verses after this. But when you read in the Old Testament and you see God actually manifesting himself, he usually is going to manifest himself in the, like with the presence of fire, with the fire that's consuming. And we see it here. Jumping down to Exodus chapter, chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, we read about a time that Moses is just out in the wilderness. He's doing his thing, probably herding sheep. 
and uh, we see that he notices a bush is on fire, and he goes to it. And verses 2 and 3 tells us, And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. This is God manifesting himself again in the presence of fire to Moses. So he's everywhere. We know that God is everywhere, but there are times that he does show himself in a form so that humanity can recognize. Because you know what? We, it's easy for us to take it for granted. We're like, God is everywhere, right? And then we just go about our day. God's in Price Chopper, and we go about our day. I hope God's in Walmart. I know I've prayed to him many times in Walmart. He's there. And we pray about it, and we go about our day, and we just keep saying it. You know, somebody, God, God's good. But do we actually, like, invite his presence to be with us in that spot, in that moment? Do we have that revelation? I can tell you there are times that I am not thinking of that revelation when I probably should be that God is with us. And he, so he knows that humanity will either take it for granted or we'll just forget that he's everywhere. And so he does send these manifestations. And the third one is back to that temple that we just talked about in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 through 11. It says, and it came to pass. So they've built it. Solomon's like, whoa, we can't contain God's presence. And God recognizes the sacrifice. He recognizes everything that, that the people of Israel have done to try to welcome him into that place. And this is what happens when they try to open the temple. It says, and it came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place that, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Another translation refers to this as, the, as, as smoke. The presence of God was manifest in a thick cloud like smoke that filled that newly built temple to the point where everything was stopped and God's presence was just overwhelming. And it says that in his vastness, he's always tried to give humanity a sign of his presence and his manifestation. And he's always tried to say, hey, look, I'm going to come down. I'm going to be with you. I'm everywhere. I see all things. But there are times that he does send just a manifestation so that we can have a recognition in our human understanding that this God who fills all space really is here. He really is here. And you know what? I know it's early on a Sunday morning, but he really is here in this house this morning. He really is. And so then when we move forward, we see in the Old Testament, God's manifesting himself through fire. Moving into the New Testament, you kind of start to see this shift. God's not just sending pillars of fire down to confirm his presence when the children of Israel are getting, getting frustrated. He sends somebody called John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, as we move into the New Testament, was so important. He was a forerunner for Jesus, the Bible tells us. He was, he was sent to prepare the world for the God who fills all things to take on the form of a human. And Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, records these words from John the Baptist. He said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so you see this. You see this guy, that they said that John the Baptist was kind of crazy looking, right? Like he would eat locusts. And I always think of like the DC Talk song that kind of drops a beat about John the Baptist in the wilderness. And he's, uh, he's, he's not like the most put together guy, which I can relate to. So I'm like, I would probably be friends with John the Baptist. And he's out here, he's in the wilderness, he's baptizing people. And he's like, I'm going to do this, but I just want you to know I'm not the big deal. There's a really, there's a really awesome guy coming after me and he's going to baptize you with fire. 
so for us, you know, in modern day, we're like, yeah, that's great. We know what that means. We have context. But for them in the Old Testament or in, in this old time, they were like, what, what's he talking about baptizing with fire? What does that mean? But it meant something to them and that they heard their ancestors talk about God will come down like a pillar of fire and he'll, he'll lead you where you need to go. And he, they heard God manifesting himself as fire for their entire lives. And now there's this crazy man in the wilderness talking about a man who's going to come and baptize you with fire. And they're probably pretty interested because they're like, we know that when God comes, sometimes that, that fire is manifest. So Jesus enters into the world and his ministry is amazing. We know about we know about some of the great things that he did, but one of the things of Jesus' ministry that he talks about all the time, he's reminding people of a comforter that's going to come when he leaves. He's like, if I don't go, comforter won't come. And if you read John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus is in the middle of his miracles. He's in the middle of being a manifestation. He is God on earth. He's in the middle of being God on earth. The disciples are surrounding him. He, he's doing his thing. And you see him say stuff like this in John chapter 16, verse 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And the disciples are perplexed. They're like, we have a manifestation. We can see God right here. Why? Don't leave. We don't know about your comforter, but just let's just, how about you stay? And then we'll just go from there, right? It, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to them whenever Jesus would talk about dying and leaving. In fact, Peter at one point rebukes them and is like, no, nah, that ain't going <laughs> to happen, right? He lets them know, like, I'm not down with you just dipping on us like that. But Jesus always had that message. And you know what? It didn't just go away, you know, when Jesus died and was resurrected. In fact, even in the New Testament, Paul had to deal with it. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, it says, Where, wherefore he saith, when he ascended, talking about Jesus, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascends, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is also the same that ascended from up above all the heaven that he might fill all things. So the God who fills all space had a plan from the very beginning to fill all things. Psalms 24.1 tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. So to catch up, we have a God who fills all things. He manifests himself in the Old Testament as fire. He was prophesied to baptize people with fire. He was manifest on earth, but then he ascends back up into heaven to fill all things. And you know what? To be alive at that time, a lot of things probably weren't really clear to the disciples and to that, to that early church. You know, in fact, we read about it. They're perplexed a little bit. They're like, he was here, now he's not. He's ascending. Is he, well, what's going on? There's going to be a, we still haven't been baptized with fire yet. And that crazy guy was talking about it. You know, what are we, what is all of this? But it wasn't until after Jesus crucified and was resurrected that John's statement about being baptized with fire and Jesus' comments about going so that a comforter could come actually made sense. This God who fills the entire universe had one more plan. And Acts 2 tells us that the ultimate manifestation of God's presence was still to come. No more pillars of fire, no more clouds of smoke, but through worship, we see the ultimate culmination for God to feel all things in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 2 through 4 tells us that suddenly, when the disciples were together, the, the, 
The first church is together. They're waiting on God. They're probably, they probably would welcome a pillar of fire just falling through the roof at that point. They were looking for a manifestation of God. They knew that he filled all things, but they, you know what? And we're going to get there at some point in our life where we're like, God, I know you're everywhere, but I really need to know that you're right here right now because I'm going through some stuff. And that's what this, that these people were going through. And look, what, look how God responds in Acts chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. It says, suddenly, a sound like a mighty rushing wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled. Filled is the important point with the Holy Ghost as the Spirit gave them utterance. Through God's perfect plan from the very beginning, he filled all things, but he always would give that fire as a representation of where he was at that moment. And in Acts chapter 2, we see that this, this vast God that fills heaven, that fills earth, that's with us in Walmart, that's with us in Price, that's everywhere. There are times when he will manifest himself and he will be like, hey, I want you to know that right now at this point, I'm with you. I am, I'm right here with you. And you know what? I'm thankful for that presence. So it wouldn't be, I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. I know I'm a couple minutes early, but I'm wrapping up because that's what I do on deeper waters, five minutes early. <laughs> but you know what? God doesn't send pillars of fire anymore. He still could. I'm not 100% sure that he didn't every once in a while in California because it's still burning out there. <laughs> it's my home state. I love it. They got to do something about that, though. Um, but you know what he does send? He sends the spirit. Yeah. He sends the comforter. Yeah. And he's not just going to say, hey, it's there. Just trust me. Just believe me. My spirit will be there when you worship. No, he's like, I'm going to give you a sign that I'm with you. I'm going to give you a sign that my presence is manifest, that my power is there with you. And you know what that sign is? The gift of the Holy Ghost. It's evidence of speaking in another tongue as the spirit gives the evidence. His, his spirit falls still, just like we read about, like fire, and it can sit upon each of us. And so as we stand together, I don't care if this is your first time in here and I'm talking about stuff that you've never heard of, or if you have been raised in church for 84 years and this is your celebration service. We still need the manifestation of God in our services. We still need the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in our lives. I need to be speaking in tongues. I need God's presence to fall on my life. But you know how they did it in Acts chapter 2? They didn't just sit there and ask for it. They went into a time of prayer and focused worship, and they waited until God fell, until his presence fell. And that's our challenge this morning. We're not just here in a worship service, just like, oh, it's something we do before the preacher comes up, right? No, we're here to entertain and to welcome in the presence of God. He's already been here, but he wants to know that you want him here. He wants to know that you're excited that he's here. Because you know what? If we start to lift our hands, even if you don't feel it, if you start to worship with the praise team, even if it's not easy, you know what's going to happen? He's going to start to manifest himself. And he's going to start to move in this place. And his spirit is going to fall. And you know what? We can walk out of this place changed forever. I think that's a pretty good invitation. So why don't we welcome God into this place? Why don't we focus in on him for just a few minutes this morning? God, we want you to move in this service. We want your fire to fall in this house, God. We worship you, Jesus.